Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everybody. It's Wednesday night and it's time for Friends in Fiction. So let's get rolling. You may notice that we're down a peach tonight because (laughs) Patty is at an award ceremony for the cancer board with which she volunteers. And by the way, I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Kristen Harmel. And this is Friends in Fiction for three tonight. New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we're welcoming number one New York Times bestselling publishing phenom and the queen of heat, laughter, and happily ever after, Tessa Bailey, to discuss her latest, Wreck the Halls. I love that. Heat, laughter, and happily ever after. But first, just a quick reminder to check out all the fun things going on in our Friends and Fiction community at friendsandfiction.com. There you'll find links to our bookshop.org page where our books and books from our guests are available at a discount, to the Friends and Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa, and to our weekly email newsletter sign up. You'll also find a link to our Friends and Fiction Writer's Block podcast, a new episode of which drops each Friday. On our most recent episode, Ron and Meg talked to the New York Times bestselling author of Maid, Stephanie Land, about her new GMA book club pick, Class, a memoir of motherhood, hunger, and higher education. And coming this Friday, Ron and Patty talked to Sean Dietrich, who's a columnist, podcaster, stand-up storyteller, and author better known as Sean of the South, about his new novel, Kinfolk. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find info and links on our website at friendsandfiction.com. And over on the book club's Facebook page, the group is reading Christmas Presents by Lisa Unger. You can join the Friends and Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa for that live online author discussion on Monday, December 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern. You know, we've got a lot of fun stuff going on. But speaking of fun, without further ado, let's welcome Tessa Bailey. Tessa is the New York Times bestselling author of dozens of novels, including It Happened One Summer, Hook, Line, and Sinker, and Unfortunately Yours. She can solve all problems except for her own, so she focuses those efforts on stubborn, fictional, blue-collar men and loyal, lovable heroines. Dubbed the Michelangelo of Dirty Talk by Entertainment Weekly, Tessa writes with spice, spirit, swoon, and a guaranteed happily ever after. She lives on Long Island, avoiding the sun and social interactions, and then wonders why no one has called. I love it. We're not making this up. This is from her bio. Her new book. We were saying this about her. I know. We're like just gossiping about her behind her back. Like, you guys, she avoids social interactions. No. (laughs) No, she's hilarious. So her new book, Wreck the Halls, was released earlier this fall, and it is a perfect steamy read for the holiday season. Sean, will you bring Tessa on? Hi. Hi. 
<laughs> How are you? Thank you for that totally um, off the cuff ad libbed introduction. I <laughs> Which you spoon fed us, but okay. <laughs> Tessa, it's we're true. so excited. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I was just going to say I totally do avoid social interactions. Um, so uh, this is a, this is like you know not uh, the typical night for me, and I'm thrilled to be here. And you guys really are organized. I'm so impressed by that intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited to have you with us tonight to talk about Wreck the Halls, your latest novel that puts the spice in the holiday eggnog. <laughs> what could you tell us about these characters, Melody and Beat? So we, I feel like we have to go back to the 90s to sort of like paint this picture. So imagine you have this incredible, like world famous power duo, these two women who are like the biggest band in the world. And they have this un unfortunate, terrible breakup. Uh, and it's kind of this devastating thing to the world. Like everybody wants them to get back together. They, they made magic together. Um, and they also happen to each be pregnant um, at the time uh, that the band broke up. So here we are 30 years later and the lead singer's son and the lyricist's daughter have been offered a million dollars a piece to reunite the band on Christmas Eve. Oh. And all of it, this entire effort, all of that, uh, like all of their hijinks and journey is going to be live streamed on the internet. So it's, it's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of just crazy situations I put them in. And I think it's just really it's like kind of made tastier by the fact that the entire world gets to witness them falling in love and be a part of it and comment on it. And they start gaining this gigantic following and it just sort of snowballs into this big moment on New Year's Eve. So it's, it's a, it's a really fun book. I it really is. So Tessa, we love to talk about origin stories on this show. So tell us what inspired the plot of Wreck the Halls with its background, like you mentioned, of reality TV and this hoped for reunion of a couple of long warring rock stars. Can you talk to us a little bit about the inspiration? Yes. I mean, my husband is like a huge classic rock fan uh, and he's sort of gotten me into it as well. Like we listen to, he has a vinyl record player down in the basement and he collects records and He's always, he, he doesn't just know the music, he knows the story behind every band. He knows like what year they hit it big, like how long their album stayed in the charts, like everything about them. And I think Fleetwood Mac for That's sure. Think, and yeah. also ABBA are two bands that we really love, love to talk about, love to sort of speculate on because they had these really, really well-publicized breakups. Yeah. And I always just like thought like that is the most romantic thing in the world, that these people could come together, create something that affected the entire world. And that was it. It's just this one little encapsulated moment and they, could, they couldn't recreate it. It was almost bigger than them and it blew them apart. And I think that there's something that's really amazing and fascinating about that. So, yeah. um, I mean, <laughs> I pictured my moms in the book as uh, Courtney Love and Posh Spice. <laughs> oh, I love it! <laughs> Great. Um, so once I had those characters in my head, like the feud was just like, so much fun to write I mean <laughs> <laughs> so who all right was who was um Trina and who was Octavia 
So Octavia is sort of like the, everything, like her whole house is decorated in like pristine white and she's a philanthropist and she's very elegant. And that's obviously Victoria Beckham to me, like to a T. And then the, the lyricist who is, you know, she's living in a hippie commune in like upstate New York <laughs> and getting arrested on the regular. Um, that is definitely, um, I, I would associate more with Courtney Love. For sure. <laughs> no, anybody. Anybody. <laughs> a little your research for the book. What did you do to bring these characters in this world alive? Well, a lot of it didn't, some of it required research. I think the most that required, like the biggest aspect of the book that required research was um, reality television and sort of everything that goes into filming in public places, like release forms, um, like what's actually possible you know, like how quickly can, could they have made this into a reality show um, and, you know, gotten this network on board and gotten all this bandwidth. And, um, and so it was like, kind of, I mean, I always take a little artistic license, you know, like, I don't think necessarily it could have happened that quickly. Um, but I tried to make it as realistic as possible in terms of like where they could film um, and making sure microphones were turned on and off and just like, Things like that. Uh, I never. I don't really have to research New York City because I, I've, I've lived in it for a long time, and it just feels like kind of slipping into a second skin. You know, like I know yeah. the beats of New York City. I know the geography of it. You know, transportation, how long it takes to get from borough to borough, <laughs> like things like that. So, um, yeah, it really just was mostly botchy, uh, botchy research and reality television research. I love okay. it. It's right up your alley, Mary Kay. Bocce? <laughs> no, the, the the reality television with the home Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, I didn't. Yeah, Bocce, no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's no way we can talk about a Tessa Bailey romance without discussing those open door sex scenes, which your readers have avidly embraced. Now, these are not your grandma's Barbara Cartland romances, right? <laughs> Do you, Tessa, do you think it's a generational thing that current readers are more open and accepting of all layers of sex and even kink? I love it. Um, I I think it's not necessarily, I think that that's always been a desire that all generations of readers have had. Um, I just think that we have a generation of readers right now that refuse to feel shame about anything. <laughs> um, at least that's what I have uh, observed. Um, I'm mostly on places like TikTok where it's, it's like I said, it's uh, earlier, it's like my readers are suddenly a high school range um, and they know what they like. They're not afraid to say it. They refuse to feel ashamed about it. They're very vocal. And I think it's a really refreshing thing. Like they've taken romance from the back of the, the bookstore to the front and center aisle. Um, and I think that that's uh, only oh, can only be positive. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you've written more than fifty novels. Did your books always have this level of heat from the very beginning? Every single one of them, without fail. <laughs> I don't think I could write one without it. It's just not. I need to be there for that. That release, uh, literally, literally and figuratively. I need to be there for <laughs> the moment where that like kind of steam valve, you know, like is twisted and a little bit of the tension is released. And I really think those moments, especially just for me, it's like, there's a vulnerability on display. 
there's something that some wall being brought down during those scenes that furthers the plot makes everything different in the next scene. Um, it's just a really, it's just an integral part of my stories, you know? And I don't think that that's necessarily true for every single story. It's just mine. It is. Hmm. That's interesting. So you've been dubbed the queen of book talk with 169 million views the last time anyone counted. And by some accounts, it was 2021's It Happened One Summer, the first in your, is it Bellinger Sisters? Yes. Series. Okay. That made your career explode. So what do you think has triggered such an enthusiastic response to your books on TikTok? I don't know. You know, like, I don't, I don't really know. Um, that's the best. <laughs> I can I right? tell you. I mean, that's the best when you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, um, I think that this, like, it seems like when I worked, if we're talking about the TikTok crowd specifically, they really do love an over the top, um, possessive, obsessive hero. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've never, like, it's just part of my, hero's DNA. It always has been. Um, they're, they're definitely a little over the top. There's definitely red flags, <laughs> fictional red flags. <laughs> my heroes, uh, they get jealous, you know, they, but they also have this like baseline of unshakable respect and um, just like they treat the heroine uh, like an equal. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a, a balance that I, really it's kind of an organic balance that I try to achieve with each book that um, the hero is, is definitely a classic alpha male, but they also are just like, but I respect you. (laughs) 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 Maybe that's it. Um, Maybe that's it. I don't, I don't know, but whatever it is, I hope I keep doing it. I love it. That's (laughs) awesome. Well, Tessa, you are incredibly prolific and you've been self-published as well as traditionally published writing series as well as standalone books. I read somewhere, and I'm not jealous of this at all. I'm kidding. It's I'm so jealous of this. You could write a novel in a matter of weeks. We'd, I, we're not even going to talk about how long I've been working on the my current work in progress. <laughs> so, so I would love to ask you, can you talk to us a little bit about your writing process? Like, are you a plotter or a pantser? Um, and while you're talking to us about your writing process, can you maybe sprinkle in a little of that 3,000 word a day magic (laughs) that you mentioned in our newsletter on the rest of us, because I need to learn how to do this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, I feel like I taught myself over time. Like, um, you know how it is. You guys know, like writing, it's like the, it's a muscle. The more you exercise it, the more capable it becomes. Uh, And I think just, I, I, I don't know. I think I was so excited in the, to have a, to be good at something. I think that I was like, I got to keep doing this. Like I got to stay in this. And it's only recently that I've like kind of talked myself off of, off this ledge of like needing to write four books a year. I'm like, you can write two books a year now. Like you're, you're going to be okay. No one's going to forget about you. Um, And so I, I'm not writing 3000 words a day anymore. I'm writing 2,500. Oh, you really scaled but, it back. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I did scale it back a little bit. And it's been really nice to give myself permission to not That's do that uh, as much. And it's also given me more time to focus on making sure I'm writing the best book I can. Mm-hmm. Um, to like really sit with it, like really yeah. kind of think about the characters and their motivations before I just dive right in. But I'm definitely a pantser. Okay. I, try, I try to plot every single time and 
by the third chapter, I have decided my characters, are, like my characters, once they get on the page together, seem to take on a whole different life. And I, la- I just allow it, allow it to happen. And, you know, I know I need to hit certain beats, obviously, throughout the story, but like the way I get to those moments, I kind of allow myself to just use my imagination and, and change course if needed. So. I love it. That's awesome. All right. Now, do you think you'll continue to self-publish even while you're publishing traditionally with Avon? At the moment, I'm not going to self-publish anymore. Um, and that's only because the last two books that I self-published, I was not like, it, they were after it happened one summer. Okay. And <laughs> I like, I couldn't even get, I, like they weren't in stores and people were like, where are, I can't find your books anywhere. And I yeah. feel like I just wasn't I didn't have the knowledge to reach the numbers that I needed now, like yep. that I need at the moment. So right. I was just like unprepared. I, think. I, I get that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll try it again someday, but not now. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about romance tropes now. What Tessa are your favorite romance tropes to write? So I love writing enemies to lovers, um, but it has to be done sort of a, a specific way for me. I really, I need the the hero to be in love with her from the first chapter. I can't really have him hate her <laughs> at any moment. Uh, and so um, even if, even if she thinks he hates her, I need to know like as the reader that he is secretly sort of pining for her. Um, so enemies to lovers is definitely one of my favorites. It's like, I feel like it comes up every five or six books where I'm like, Oh, it's time. That's that time again. Getting the (laughs) enemies to lovers bug. Um, but I also really love, um, reformed playboys. That seems to be something that like those books hit me harder than the others. Like I feel deeply for those heroes. Um, and I wouldn't in real life. I would hate them, which is funny. <laughs> now, is, is Beat is Beat in um, Wreck the Halls? Would you call him a reformed playboy? No, I wouldn't call him a reformed playboy um, because I don't think he's been in. I think his his all of his you know re- his physical relationships have been transactional, sort of up until the time he meets Melody. Uh, but Fox and Hook, Line and Sinker would be a reformed playboy. Um, yeah, Travis from Fix Her Up, those kind of guys who are just like sort of just this walking bag of vulnerabilities, but present this like really hard exterior and this like, um, until they meet the he- the heroine and then they're just like, they, they just become jello. <laughs> so I love those guys so much. Yeah. So what trope, is there a, tro- is there a trope that you would say uh, Wreck the Halls is? Yeah, I, I've been calling it, I've been calling it uh, soulmates to lovers, which oh, I know okay. isn't <laughs> doesn't necessarily. It's not necessarily a trope that a classic trope, but I think calling it friends to lovers didn't really, it didn't really do do it justice because they are so mesmerized by each other from the second they're on the page together, um, and so I just didn't really know what kind of tropes to plug it as. But soulmates to lovers definitely felt. Felt like the one forced proximity is probably the second one. Well, you're at the stage now where you can make up your own tropes. I'm just making that's my own so true. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I love it. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. 
what what are the what would you say are the secret ingredients in every Tessa Bailey novel that makes them so distinctly your own? So I would say, uh, wow, something that makes both them distinctly my own. Like I said before, I really think it's um, it's really a balance for me of knowing when to bring in humor, uh, when to dial up the drama, and when to have like that release of uh, like physical release between the characters. Um, it's like kind of like a dance that I feel like I've I've I I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's just something that I do kind of instinctively, and I know when it's time to to just sort of like juggle the mood, I guess. And I don't know, like, I do think that there is something about my heroes um, just being so incredibly focused on the heroine, wanting to know her thoughts, wanting to, you know, predict her, predict her wants and needs before they even appear. Um, Grand gestures, things like that from the hero. Um, I think, I would like to think that people would know a Tessa Bailey hero just by reading one, I would hope. That's great. Well, I have read that you credit The Hating Game um, by Sally Thorne as the book that made you want to write romantic comedies. So is that true, first of all? Because I've realized sometimes I will read something and ask the question, and others like, what? What did I say? Yeah. That's absolutely untrue. (laughs) So is that true? And if so, what was it about that book that spoke to you so much? There was just something about The Hating Game. It was like, first of all, the way Josh was like, you know, like the way I love to write is he was secretly in love with her the whole time. Um, and little things like little hints get dropped towards the end of the book. Like his wall is painted the color of her eyes. He remembers his exact thoughts. Like the second he met her and she smiled, they thought it was the most beautiful smile in the world. He keeps track of her outfits in his notebook, things like that. Absolutely. Like those are the things I remember from a book is like tiny little details like that, um, that are just like a tremendous expression of love to, I think a woman, like, I don't, um, and I, I laughed out loud throughout that entire book. And it's, I, I don't laugh out loud very often reading books. Um, I'll, I'll think something is funny, but that book really was so witty and the banter was nonstop. It was every time they were on the page together, she didn't let up. It was just like really a masterpiece. And yeah, I did want to write like that. I wanted to write something like that. Now, I read that you started that you first started thinking about romance when you were at your grandmother's (laughs) and you pulled a copy of a Sandra Brown book off a bookshelf. Is that right? I did. I was at a family reunion. So my mother's side of the family had we were doing a reunion in Maine and I was the only like teen preteen there. I guess I was I was 13. So uh, I was the only one my age there and they just wanted to like sit and like drink tea and they were watching river dance, like this VHS <laughs> tape of river dance, like over and over and over. And I was like, I gotta get, I got so I gotta get something. I gotta do something. Um, so I found this copy of hidden fires by Sandra Brown in my grandmother's luggage. And I started reading it and I was just like, Oh my God. Like, Oh my God. Like I felt like my chest was like caving in. It felt so good to read it. Um, 
just like, I realized that up until that point in my life that every time I watched a movie or every time I watched a television show or any, any kind of medium, I was always super hyper-focused on who's in love in this, who's in love in this movie. <laughs> like what's the, where's the romantic subplot? Like that's all I really ever focused in on and cared about. And then to read a whole book where that's the entire focus, I was just like, I was like gasping for air. I like, I read it and then I read it again and then I read it again. And then I was like, somebody take me to town to a bookstore. Like, and I just discovered the romance section. And then thus began like my sea captain era. I was only reading about sea captains (laughs) for like a year and a half. Like I was like, if it's not a sea captain, I don't want it. Um, And then, yeah, I eventually graduated, but it was all historical for a really long time. I would say up until well past yeah probably until college that's when I started reading contemporary but I love historical Julie Garwood she was probably the one who inspired me to write romance like fully like fully write romance um as a young girl like her heroines and her heroes and their dynamic are something I still think about all the time how old were you when you when you wrote your first romance I was, so my daughter had just been born. So I was, uh, I think I was 27. And I don't think I was published though until I was 29. So I wrote one that was never published, never saw the light of day, wrote a second one. And then that one, Protecting What's His, that got a response from an editor at Entangled. So that's kind of where it started. But I, I think I was like 27 and then 29 was when I was published. You know, Christy wrote her first mystery. I mean, your first book, right, Christy? When you, right after you had. um, That was exactly the same as me. Yeah. I wrote my first book when I was 27 and got published when I was 29. That's so funny. Right. That's, that's crazy. We're set. Although I'm just thinking, I've written like 12 (laughs) books and you've written like a million. So I'm not doing I, know. I, I need a bracelet that says like be like Tessa, right? I like, know. I mean, like, I, remind me, like right back. I had this one year with two books and I was like, oh, that was a lot. You have it's, four a year. Like, no problem. It's a lot. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do that anymore. Last year my publisher asked me asked me to write three. And um, in addition to some that I was self-publishing, and I I think I like really was like, you can't do this anymore because I was just like. I wasn't taking as much time as I wanted to with each book. Like I, I was like, I really need to sit down and focus on these books and like, yeah. you know, put out the best, but the best, best story I can. And like, if you're writing five books a year, it's really difficult to do that. I mean, like God knows I tried, but um, yeah. it's nice to kind of slow down and take your time with something. Like I think no, it really, you're a fast votes. writer, like the editing part, you know, it, it just takes a, it takes a little while. So I'm really impressed. Yeah, it's incredible. The business side of things has probably changed yeah. for you too, though, right? I, I mean, it, it, I mean, in terms of what you have to do to promote the novels now, as you've become a bigger and bigger name, I'm sure people want bigger pieces of your time. Um, it's definitely changed in the sense that people want to talk to me at all. <laughs> That's definitely changed. <laughs> Um, I never could have imagined like going on book tours. Like that's definitely something like when they said, I think it was secretly yours. That was the first. uh, So that was like, oh, that was like February of 
2022. Um, and they were like, we're going to send you on a book tour. And I was like, you're kidding. <laughs> I was like, what? Um, and now like every time I release a book, I'm going on one. It, it, that feels surreal um, to like walk into yeah. places and have there be 200 people there. And um, for me, you know, cause I've done signings where nobody's come or like I've, I've been there, you know, yep. we uh, have so, never done that. So I'm, no, I'm, I'm, we, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, never never happened. happened to any of us. Never happened. Or I've done a pre-order campaign and shown up to the bookstore and there was only, te- you know, yeah. copies and like things like that. So I've definitely, I think the fact that I've done that for 10 years yeah. means I've really, really enjoyed and savored the last two. Um, and I think that that's kind of a nice benefit of having seen it from both sides. Absolutely. Like, I really, really can appreciate it. <laughs> no, that, yeah. there is something to like not having, I mean, overnight success would be yeah. great. I think that ship has sailed for me, unfortunately. <laughs> but it, it, there is something nice about seeing yourself kind of grow, I feel like, too. Yeah. I yeah. think that's what gives you longevity in, in, in this kind of career though. You know what I mean? Like, I think you need to know that like you can survive the the difficult times. And I think that gives you more confidence and more faith in the, in the times that are good. You know, I think so too. I think you're right. And I think the, I don't have as, I don't have any imposter syndrome anymore. Yep. Cause I'm like, no, nah, I've paid, I've paid my dues. Yep. <laughs> like, I've been here. I've been uh, like, you know, I've, I've sat through, you know, signings and, and I've, uh, I've sat there and I've released a book and seen the the rank not move for days. So, um, it's like, and I kept doing it and I think I kept going and I kept writing. And so I think knowing I can push through the lows as, and as well as being happy about the highs, like, I think that that's kind of just taught me a lot about myself. And so I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm faking it anymore, I guess. Yeah, uh, no, that absolutely makes sense. But that took twelve years. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I get it. It's a journey, one hundred percent. You know, I also wanted to ask you about your covers, and I feel like maybe this is just a, a trend in the industry right now. But you know, inside of your books, the heat is cranked up to eleven, <laughs> but they're but they're packaged, and you know, uh, not to use the word packet. I don't know, whatever package. They're packaged a little bit more innocently than, than the content might otherwise dictate. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, about how, how the covers reflect what's in the book and why you think that appeals to, um, to readers? So I think the original idea behind it, or at least the way it was explained to me was that um, we were like traditional publishing was just not, you know, it wasn't doing well. Like, they were losing a lot of, it, it was all going to ebook. Um, everybody was just downloading ebooks or Kindle Unlimited. It was just kind of, and I think that they're, they were like, we need to repackage this as something that's like more, I guess, like attractive to people outside of this genre. Like we need to go and get other readers yeah. like over here. And, um, and I think that they were trying to reach a demographic that, was turned off by really like blatantly sexy covers, which definitely have their place. I love them. You know, like I still love them and I think they have um, just as much place as they always have to me in, in, in the genre. But um, I think that they wanted to appeal to people who perhaps had been 
just hesitant to try romance because they just because of this perception they had of it. And um, and now I think we're just in a place of that people think they are more photogenic that way. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Colors. They're colorful. They're yeah. like yeah. cute. They're fun. They're, they're Instagrammable. They're yeah. like you can you can give them a cool background and a color scheme. And I think that that's really, really a huge part of um, the book world right now is just like, yeah. is your book pretty? Is it is it? Is it something that people are going to want to take pictures of and put up on their Instagram or TikTok? Or TikTok. Yeah. Is it going to match their bathing suit? Like, that's a pretty, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I mean, I get it. I'm like, oh. It's true. I mean, yeah, it really is. I, I mean... And and a lot of it is um, also like now Target is massive is a is a massive yep. part of selling romance. So and like they so much so that they've they've dictated certain parts of my last two covers. Wow. Yeah. You don't so see it, that. Yeah. You don't see the old fashioned Fabio clinch covers that often <laughs> anymore. You don't. And I think that they will make a comeback. I mean, not, not with Fabio, but somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if he, oh, there's no more Fabio covers. <laughs> hey, Gabby, Barbara Wojcik has a question. Can I ask him? Yeah. Okay, so she says, I noticed Tessa has a bunch of series. How does she decide how many are in each one and how many different series does she have? So, I like, yeah, I used to um, do three book series or four book series. And then I found myself by the time I got to the end of the series, I I felt like I was really itching to start a new, just like create a new world um, to to try something new. I get really antsy about like new, I want to try something new. I want to, I always want to be like, um, sort of like crafting a new cast of characters and I want to be like, you know, exploring something else. And so I was finding myself getting antsy by the end of my series. And so I was like, I'm going to start doing duologies for a while and just making them like, instead of dragging out any of the plots, like any of the kind of like running plots that were in the background, like just really hitting, making two explosive books, like putting everything into them and not leaving anything to the imagination, not dragging anything out. And I just found that really appealing. Um, and I, that was my plan with the current series I'm writing, the sports series. But now I like now secondary characters are starting to appeal more to me. And I'm starting to think like I might go back to writing longer series. Um, so it really, it really is just comes down to the fact that I'm very, very whim based. <laughs> and I just, uh, thankfully I have a publisher that is really like, you know, they know I'm kind of, I, I do things that are very like uh, mood based. And um, sometimes I just get like an idea in my head and I can't let go of it. And thankfully they're accommodating with, with me on that. Um, like Red the Halls was supposed to be the beginning of a series. And I, and I went to them halfway through it and I said, this isn't going to be a series. It's going to be a standalone. Um, because I, I was like, I can't match this energy in, in three books. It's just mm-hmm. its own energy, this book. It's yeah. its own thing. So you're like, okay, okay, Tessa. <laughs> I was like, so I'm going to write a golf book next instead. <laughs> and they were like, well, um, and I was like, trust me. Um, so <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully they, they're used to me being a little bit crazy. But uh, I think, I, I don't know how many series I have, but I want to say it's probably like eight to nine. Amazing. Um, Mary Vasquez wants to know what age range 
you feel your books are appropriate for? Um, so I guess it just really depends on the person. Like I know, I, like I said, I started reading explicit romance when I was 13. Um, (laughs) I, I tend to think, so my daughter's 12 and I would say that, um, she has quite a few years before I think she should read something, uh, like that I write. Um, but I really, I, I truly think like romance is such a positive influence on teenagers because it's all about demanding equal ground from your partner. Like, you know, it's about empathy. It's about agency. Like, I just think it's such a positive thing. Um, so I don't know. I feel like between honestly, 16, 17, and and I know that maybe sounds too young, but anywhere from 16, 17 and up, that's my official word. (laughs) Don't tell your moms. I think that's yeah. I think that sounds reasonable. By the time you're 16 or 17, like yeah, you you know my 12 year old knows those things I didn't know, know until last things. year. <laughs> no, and it's like sometimes I can't figure it out. I'm like, how? Like, I, I like I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um. Okay. So back on track. You are often praised by your fans for the banter that you create between your characters. Is this something that you do consciously, or is it something just this wit just sort of comes out of you. Although we can see that because you're very witty in real life. Oh, too. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I think um, it's definitely, it's weird. It's weird. You guys probably know this. You guys definitely know this. It's easier with some characters than others, right? Like yeah. sometimes you just get two people on the page and you're like, this is flowing. Like, I don't even have to think about this. And then other, sometimes you get two characters and you're like, what are they going to talk about? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes like when it's, it's just sometimes that, that usually it tells me that I need to go back and like learn a bit, a little bit more about my characters mm-hmm. um, and meet them a little bit more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I don't know what they're going to talk about, then I'm not, I haven't done that homework yet. Uh, but I think banter is really important in a romance novel because definitely like at, at some point, 20 years from now, you're going to need to be interesting to each other. And yeah. we're, we're going to make this happily ever after believable. Like we have to know that they're going to be having great conversations for a long time, you know, and that it's going to be natural and it's going to feel good and they're going to make each other laugh. And so I think it's just as important as the sex and the bonding and any other thing that they do together in a romance novel. So. Yeah, it's such a good point. Okay, we have one last question for Tessa, but first we want to remind all of you out there to head over to friendsandfiction.com to find out more about our podcast and to sign up for our newsletter, which includes exclusive Q&As with our guests. Tessa had a great one in this week's newsletter and which always covers more than we can get to on the show. Subscribing is totally free, as is subscribing to our podcast. So make sure that you are signed up for both at friendsandfiction.com. Tessa, before we let you go, can you tell our viewers how to find you in person and online in the coming weeks? Yes. Um, So on Instagram, I'm at Tessa Bailey as an author. (laughs) On TikTok, I'm at author Tessa Bailey. Um, I'm going on a book tour in February. I'll be in uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia. Atlanta. You're going to be in the suburb of Atlanta. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'll be in Carl Place, which is on Long Island uh, at the Barnes and Noble. And you can find all, find all this information. Probably my Instagram is the best place to find it. And I'm also coming to the UK 
at the end of February. So if you're in Liverpool or Manchester, um, London is sold out, but Liverpool and Manchester, come see me. Like I'll, I'd love to sign your books. And, and so I just, uh, yeah, those are the places really they can find me. I know a lot of your fans in Atlanta are already planning an excursion to see you when you're here in February, Tessa. I'm so excited to see them too. Uh, I've never been, I don't think I've ever been to Atlanta for a book signing. So this is going to be great. Well, I know they'll show out anyway. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Tessa. We loved hearing about the books and you. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a great Q and a, and what a great, what a great show this is. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tessa. Have a good night. night. Thanks. You too. Now, don't forget, you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. And all four of us will be back next week for our office Christmas party. (laughs) And we can't wait. Who's making the bourbon balls? (laughs) I I call bourbon balls. I'll do that. (laughs) All right, Christy, that leaves you with the cheese with the cheese ball. I can do that. I can do that. And I have that, um, I have Vivian Howard's recipe in her cookbook and I'll try to perfect. replicate that. Perfect. I'll make the spiked punch. How's that? That sounds, that, that sounds perfect. I guess we'll just assign something to Patty. <laughs> anyway. Whatever you don't want to make, we'll give to her. Yeah. She, she can holiday cleanup or something. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely. Do Definitely. We're going to appoint her room mom while we're at it. Right? <laughs> if we're doing ugly sweaters or headgear oh we better be because i bought the ugliest sweater you guys have ever seen i have an array yeah. of ugly sweaters i could get this on is it. okay this is pretty ugly okay anyway <laughs> don't miss us next week we got a lot of fun stuff in store and we'll see you on the after show that was really because i was like is she going to say, see you next week or see you on the after show? I know. It was a mystery. See you on the after show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. I, I really, I thought she was super nice and uh, yeah. just, yeah, witty and wise. And yeah, I really yeah, enjoyed she her. She was great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You guys, what was your first uh, experience with reading romance? Or have you ever read any romance? I was not a big romance reader, but um, I, uh, Forever by Judy Bloom, I think, which is, I think a lot of people can name as a, a sort of a gateway drug a little bit into that genre. Um, and then would you put Clan of the Cave Bear, do you think, count as historical romance? There was a lot of sex in that series. I remember reading that as a teenager. I don't have a good answer for romance. I I, I haven't read enough of it. I don't really either. I remember in middle school reading, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I think this is considered, it's not romance like Barbara Cartland, but I remember reading Rebecca and Jamaica Inn. And I think those are kind of considered. Oh like, yeah. We, we read them in school, which I think is really hilarious. Like, that's we read them funny that you read yeah, Rebecca in school. Well, I read, I did read, that's how old I am. I did read Barbara Cartland um, probably in high school. And, you know, those books were so, I mean, they were romance, but they were so innocent. And I can still remember I read a Barbara Cartland and it was your typical, oh, she's the governess for the cruel, (laughs) stern man who actually is secretly in love with her. (laughs) But at the beginning of the book, she's um, voluptuous. Mm. 
And so every night in her unhappiness, there's a pool and she swims in the pool naked for whatever reason. As, as, as one does. <laughs> On the moors of, you know, Cornwall or whatever. And <laughs> one night she's, she's swimming and she is arising from the pool and, um, He's standing there, and all of a sudden, she realizes that miraculously, she's skinny. <laughs> and she's never noticed this about herself. Apparently, there are no mirrors. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why. It wasn't like I consciously didn't read romance. I just didn't. I don't yeah. know. I think somebody, I, I don't know, my mom probably had, but I can remember in my 20s, I read Forever Amber. No. Well, I didn't read romance because I was reading Mary Kay Andrews. Oh, thanks. You're <laughs> making me feel old. <laughs> Sorry. No, but really, I mean, I remember like my mom was always reading a Mary Kay Andrews book for book club. So that's oh, how I was like, well, that's sweet. I wasn't like a little girl or anything. I don't mean it like that, but you know, like, <laughs> you know, I, I dropped into a writing retreat this week that was in Orlando. Uh, Madeline Martin, who writes historical fiction, invited me to come over for the day. It was her, Eliza White, uh, Eliza Knight, Heather Webb, who are all three people oh, I know from historical fiction. Oh. I know, so nice. But then there were some historic, there were some romance writers there um, who I hadn't met previously and who I wasn't familiar with, and that was Julie Johnstone, Heather McCollum. Lori Ann Bailey, uh, E. Watson, Cecilia Mecca, and Brenna Ash. So I walked away with like this huge list of stuff I now need to read. But there was this whole conversation we were having about writing um, Scottish historical romances. And mm -hmm. I was just thinking like, I've made all the wrong life choices. Like I could be journeying right. to Scotland. What are we to, like, doing? Write about hot men and sexy love. Like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. So men and there's a lot of self-doubt right Sometimes now. Sometimes you yeah. have to just face your choices and you realize they haven't all been good. I mean, it's, oh, I know, yeah. I, I get I know. it. I know. Um, yeah. I will tell you, okay. I will tell you somebody. Um, so a lot of people have mentioned her on the page before, Natasha Boyd, who um, her book, The Indigo Girl, a lot of people have read, but she also um, mostly self-published, like a, a lot of romance novels and I love her. I met her at a like writing conference and um, I did too. And they're really, really good. Yeah. She writes yeah, really great. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I met her at a, back in the day when RWA was really going strong. I sat at a table with her and she was, and she was lovely. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. Um, so re romance has changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And these are some smoking hot. Let me just tell you what. These are some smoking hot. <laughs> yeah. Tessa Bailey book. She does it really well. That's awesome. I, I wish I could do that better. I'm, I'm not great at writing sex scenes. Like, I think I, I get too in my own head about it. You I'm know? terrible at it. Yeah. Well, I am yeah, self-conscious. Yeah, same. I Like, I imagine my grandmother reading over my shoulder. Yeah, well, I imagine my father reading over mine, and I couldn't read us. I couldn't write a sex scene yeah. until he was dead. Yeah, yep. Because it was, then it was like, oh, okay, well, he's not going to go. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. All right. Okay, now, now we're going to really expect you to spice it up for this next book. That's right. <laughs> I'm trying to think I do have, I think I do have a sex. 
yeah, there's sex in this book. I mean, I usually do have some. It's not, I, I would not call it open door. And it is n- nowhere near the, near the heat of a Tessa Bailey book. But I think there's a place for both. I guess I'm thinking yeah. that's some people's yeah. thing and it's not some people's thing. And yep. so some people are like, Ugh, I didn't really need to know all that, you know? Well, and I, I think, think that it all comes down to is that character development. Like you want to yeah. feel that romantic tension and that heat between the two people. And it's just, yeah. it's just a matter of how quite how far you take it on the page. But I think it's the same kind of the same end point, you know? Yeah. I don't ever want to feel like I'm pandering. No. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I want to feel like, oh, this feels natural for the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm writing this scene because I feel like they can't not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a lot of uh, Meg says a lot of people are talking about thornbirds in the comments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thorn, thornbirds. Yeah. Um, I was also going to say this is off topic, but I saw Sean posted earlier that people were asking about my drink. It's just, it's a pink wine glass, so it looks more exciting than it is, but it's kombucha. It's not like, <laughs> not some like super fun, snazzy cocktail, but it's delicious. It's like ginger, cranberry, something. Kombucha. It's very good, but no alcohol over here. And I can, I can highly recommend the, the sparkling waters from Target, which is all I've been drinking lately. What flavor is this that? One's pomegranate dragon fruit. Well, oh. I would like that a lot. I would Very like good. Lot. Yeah. I have been drinking tea, if you can believe it. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of losing your edge there. MK. Well, my oh. book club Christmas party was here last night. We oh. There were 20 of us yeah, um, at the Christmas party at our house. So um, there was some wine consumed. So I thought today would be a good day to detox. That's, that's good of you. I feel like yeah. next week for the office Christmas party, I will you know, partake. Yeah. Mary Kay, we're going to need you in tip top shape to make that punch. So yeah. Yes. I'll make my red roosters. <laughs> Ooh, all right. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go, go, go. My- go check out where my ugly Christmas sweater situations are. I've got a good one in mind, but I can't quite think of where it is. Well, if you don't know, you can always go to tipsy elves because they can, they can put you in some both ways. Every store now has them. Yeah. Yeah. The best right. though is the ones that maybe aren't supposed to be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> They're ironically <laughs> ugly, unintentionally ugly. Ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, girls. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, have my dinner that my husband is fixing me. Okay. Good. good night, ladies. Good night. Good see everybody see next week at it's the office Christmas week. party. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.